0: Let us pray. Almighty God, pour out Your Spirit upon this, Your Word, and make it be for us the Word of life, that we might be people of life. Now, O God, hide me behind Your cross, that Your message of love and grace might shine through for the redemption of the world. Through Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Seeing Amy walk down the aisle of that church, watching my children being born, getting a hug from my daughter, seeing my son laugh, remembering my high school state champion baseball team eating a a warm brownie, (laughs) baptizing a youth, hearing a story of a spiritual transformation of a congregant Webster might have over over 450,000 words in his dictionary, but only one to, uh, that properly describes everything that I have just mentioned is joy, pure joy. And we know what pure joy is like. You've, you've experienced the same things that I have experienced, whether it was uh, seeing, your, uh, seeing your future spouse, soon-to-be spouse on, on your wedding day for the first time, on that wedding day, whether it was that, or whether it was seeing a, a child being born, or whether uh, wh- whether it was some incredible accomplishment, whether it was uh, the euphoria of of finally watching the thunder play a real basketball game in almost four months, or whatever the case, we know what we know what joy is, don't we? It, it's, it's euphoric, it's surreal, it's a, it's a beaming smile from ear to ear, it's a, it's a lifelong memory, it's, it's what makes you write emails and, 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 and put on Facebook, although there are other things we, we put on Facebook as well, but especially those stories we want to share with our friends. You, you, you can't necessarily describe it, but we know what pure joy is, but, but James says something else is pure joy. It's not just those great memories of ours. It's not those, just those things that, that make us happy. It is something far different according, according to James. So today we're continuing our sermon series on this book of James. The reason I love the book of James is because in the book of James, you see faith in the flesh. You see it right there in the flesh. James, throughout his entire uh, entire letter he describes what faith looks like lived out what faith looks like lived out and so today we are we are examining what he says here in these in these first few words of his epistle now let me let me remind you who is uh, who James is and and who and 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 to whom he is writing James is the brother of Jesus most Uh, most biblical scholars believe. He is writing very early on in Christian history, possibly, uh, possibly 10 to 15 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, Some have dated it a little bit later than that, possibly even as late as the year 55 or so. So it could have been 20 or 25 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. But there are many scholars that date that uh, date the, the uh, epistle of James uh, between 45 and 50 A.D. Again, when Jesus was uh, Jesus died and was resurrected around the year 30ish or so. We're not exactly we're not exactly sure. So the so the writing of this epistle is one of the very earliest writings that we have in the New Testament, and we find that James addresses his letter to the to the 12 tribes in the dispersion meaning the, the 12 tribes of Israel that were dispersed around around the world and now most scholars uh, interpret this to mean the 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 early Jewish Christians is who James is writing to, and and that's my interpretation. I believe that this is a Christian book. I believe that this does belong in the New Testament in in spite of what some early church fathers believed. I believe that James is a critically important book in the New Testament. And one of the ways that James is, is outlined or set up just a little bit is that he begins to… Uh, he, he talks about the topics that he will later discuss in more detail, really here in chapters 1 and chapter 2. For many of these topics, you'll find a, a more broad discussion and a more broad conversation about these topics, and he does that with trials and temptations and sufferings. In chapter 5, I, I, I'm planning… Hoping, uh, thinking that I'm probably going to be preaching a, another series or another sermon dealing with a similar topic here. As he goes on in chapter five, and he talks about suffering here, here in his very opening words. Now, again, again, if you read my newsletter article this week, it's odd. It's odd how James writes this letter and begins this letter. I learned what was known as a praise sandwich a long time ago. Have you ever heard the praise sandwich? Um, I, I, I was doing that as a supervisor. I would, uh, if I had something a little bit more critical to say to a, to a staff member, I would, I would, I would begin with, with some sort of affirmation, really strong affirmation. And then, I would, then I would have a little bit of, um, kind of a little bit of hopefully helpful critique there in the middle, but then I would end it with another praise. I'd call it a praise sandwich. Uh, James doesn't do that at all. In Paul's writings, he always uh, talks about how grateful he is for that church or for that individual that he is writing to. James doesn't do that at all. Boom, he jumps right into it, to the 12 tribes of the dispersion, greetings, and then he jumps right into it. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Again, no niceties. No, you are such wonderful, faithful followers. No words of, uh, no words of encouragement. He jumps right into it, right to the very heart of what these early Jewish Christians were experiencing. They're known as the 12 tribes of the dispersion because they were dispersed all across the Roman Empire. There was a reason they were dispersed all across the Roman Empire. It was really was in the first decade of Christianity that almost all of the Christians, early Christians, especially in the first couple of years, but across the first, really, decade, most of the Christians were Jewish Christians. And and Christianity the way is what it was referred to the way was just a sect of judaism or at least from the perspective of of the roman government and also to some degree even the perspective of judaism as well they saw christianity as a as a religious sect of of judaism because all of the all of the early believers were jewish christians and they they were keeping the jewish laws they were had their Jewish practices, they, they, they worshiped at the synagogue on the Sabbath, Saturday, but then they also, because they were believers in Jesus and they believed that He was resurrected on Sunday, then the Christians would gather together on Sunday and worship together. But it very quickly began to, they, they began to recognize that this was not just a Jewish sect. This was something different. This was something new. And so they were, they were persecuted by the Roman authorities just like the Jews were as well. The Jews and early Christians were persecuted by the by the Roman authorities because they only believed in one God. How and why in the world would you only believe in one God? The Romans be- thought. I mean, there's a there's a pantheon of there's a there's a plethora of gods to choose from. What kind of crazy religious fanatic would only believe in one God? What kind of crazy religious fanatic would, would not participate in all of, all of our religious ceremonies? What kind of crazy religious fanatic would, would not run in the Olympic games because uh, they were naked? What, what, what kind of crazy religious fanatic would do something like that? And so the Roman authorities began to persecute not only they were persecuting not only the Jews, but they were especially persecuting the Christians as well. And then, and then the Jewish authorities began to turn their attention to the early Christians. The earliest church was there in Jerusalem. In that earliest church, it entailed uh, the eleven disciples or… Judas Iscariot was, was replaced, and so it entailed the, the twelve disciples, and, and James was the leader of that early Jewish church there in Jerusalem. But very early on, the Jews, and especially the Christian, Jewish Christians, they began to be dispersed all around the Roman Empire because they were being persecuted, they were being beaten, they were, they were being jailed, and they were even being put to death. And so they fled from Jerusalem. And so James here is speaking to a group of Christians. They knew exactly what it was to experience trials. No doubt in my mind, they knew exactly what it was to experience trials. But he said, consider it pure joy. Pure joy. When you experience trials, when you experience sufferings, when you experience beatings, when you experience arrest, when you experience or are about to experience martyrdom, consider it pure joy. What the last few months this has been uh, here in our in our culture, the stock market, the stock market crashing and then rebounding. Our, our retirement funds are, are up in the air. We're not exactly sure that uh, the unemployment rate, even here in Oklahoma, who, ha- that has one of the lowest unemployment rates. I believe it was announced uh, last week that Oklahoma City has the third lowest unemployment of large cities in, in the United States. But even here in Oklahoma City, there is a relatively high unemployment, and especially across across the United States. It's difficult to find a job out there. This global pandemic, this election that doesn't seem like it will ever, ever end, the civil unrest that our culture as is experiencing, and then, oh yeah, then it, the, the constant worry and disappointment and frustration and fear of this global pandemic. It's been quite a, quite a past few months. There's been there's been plenty of heartache to go around even here at even here at First Church. Again the problems of the world aren't just out there they are they're creeping in and affecting our own lives. We've, well, I, I've, I, I've seen marriage issues here at First Church in the past year and family issues and there have been uh, repeated and, and annoying illnesses for, for many of our mo- most beloved saints in the life of our church. Some of us are just concerned about just making it. There have been friends and, and children and, and loved ones who have died. There have been disappointments and pressures and worries and doubts and tears in the past year, and, and and just when it seems like the problems are over, just when it seems like we're okay, we're we're done with the pandemic, we're going to move on to the next crisis. Well, we're not we're not. I mean, there's another crisis right around the corner, or the previous crisis didn't even didn't even end. It seems like there's always it's all there's always something. When will it ever end? Uh, The unfortunate answer is never. I hate to be the bearer of bad news (laughs) on this day. Suffering will never end in this lifetime. It's part of our world we are reminded of this when Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. As if the world didn't cause enough suffering, now, now we have this burden of our faith. It was the disciples who said, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, now this is where our this is where human logic gets in the way sometimes. Gets in the way sometimes. We, you know, this is when our faith will be challenged. If, if following Jesus means taking up our cross, well then why bother? I mean, if life has enough problems on its own, why, why do something with our faith that is going to cause even more pain, even more suffering, even more trials. Why in the world even even bother? If being a person of faith means going through hardships, is it really worth it? If being a Christian means that I'm going to suffer, well then maybe I shouldn't even suffer, maybe I, maybe I shouldn't even be a Christian, maybe I shouldn't come to church, maybe, really, God really isn't all that loving. But I'll tell you, That line of logic is absolutely untrue. And here's why. Here's why. Everyone struggles. Everyone struggles. It's not just people in the life of the church. And we know this in our mind. But sometimes, sometimes we go down some dark words. Indeed, following Jesus means carrying a cross. Yes, being a Christian means going through suffering and hardships, but the cause isn't our faith. Don't blame our faith. And the cause isn't God. Don't blame God. The real problem and cause of all of this suffering and all of these trials is sin itself. That's the cause of of all of it. Sin itself. God created this world, and, and it was good, and, and, and it was complete and, and perfect, and there was, there was no such thing as problems and suffering. We find these stories in the, in the, in, in the first two chapters of, of Genesis. There, there, there was no suffering. There was no pain. There was no tear. There, there, were, there was no death in that Garden of Eden. But then, but then sin entered into the picture. Now, we may think, well, if Adam and Eve just, if, if they had, I mean, if, if Eve had just not listened to the serpent, well, then everything would have been perfect. If, if Adam just wouldn't have taken that forbidden fruit from Eve, then everything, everything would have been perfect. But I, I suspect, had it not been Adam and Eve, it would have been their children or their grandchildren, or it would have been you and me, because we are fallen we are fallen and broken, and this world is fallen and broken. We've all disobeyed the Lord. We do things that He forbids, we don't, we don't do the things that he, he commands. And that's why pain and suffering is part of our world, because it's a broken world. It's not your fault. It's not God's fault. It's sin's fault. It's the problem of sin in our world. So maybe, so maybe we feel like we shouldn't suffer because we are Christians. And, and there are, I'll tell you, there are some, um, there are some so-called preachers out there that, that preach that kind of gospel that if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, God's going to richly bless you all the time, and God wants you to be happy all the time. And I believe that God probably does want to richly bless us, and God does want us uh, to experience joy and happiness, but that's not how life goes. Sometimes financial ruin comes our way. Sometimes sickness and disease ravage our bodies. Sometimes we experience the the brokenness of, of this world. Suffering is is part of this world whether we are a Christian or whether we are not a Christian because sin is part of this world. There's simply no escaping suffering. Thus, we must understand suffering and we must embrace suffering. Or rather, God says we can rejoice in suffering. We can rejoice in suffering. Listen again. These words, consider it pure joy, my sisters and brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. The reality of life is that our sin and this world sin means that there is suffering and pain in our lives. But in His wondrous wisdom, God uses the trials and the suffering and the pain in our lives to develop perseverance and ultimately maturity. As we struggle with money, as we struggle with worry about making it, as we grieve over our losses, as we endure sickness, as we, des- as we endure despair, as we struggle throughout this entire pandemic, God says, God says that we can, that, that, that he will use those things to test our faith. Now, now, now think about that for just a moment. Think about what it means to test our faith. We're not saying that God puts those things in the world in order, in order to make sure that we are a person of faith, to make sure that we're a Christian. That's not what a test is. Remember back when you were in school, some of you are in school, remember taking tests. I hated taking tests absolutely hated taking the test. I, 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 would, I would begin to get a butterfly in my stomach whenever the, whenever the teacher would, would start going through the, the instructions for that test. I would, my hands would almost be shaking when, when, when they would say, okay, open that test booklet, go. I can, I can remember the, the, the incredible knot in, in my stomach. I was, I was petrified. But why do students have to take tests? So that they can determine where they are in their knowledge. They can can judge where they are in the the understanding of that subject matter. And so when we experience things that that seem to be a, a test, it will help us to know where we are in our relationship to our faith. It will help us to understand how faithful we really, really are. Orville and Mary were incredible people. My previous church. Uh, I, had, I had been there just uh, about four months uh, when I got a call from Mary. I, I had, I'd got to know Mary and Orville well in the life of that congregation. I'd seen them multiple times, I'd been to their house uh, three or four times in the first four or five months. They were very, very active in the life of, of that church. I was surprised when I got a call from Mary that evening. I could hardly understand what she said. I could I could obviously tell that she was crying and very very distraught. She told me I could I could begin to make out some of her words and she I heard her say they're all gone, they're all dead. I didn't understand much more than that. I told her that I would quickly be on my way and so I jumped into my car. This was about 10 o'clock at night. I quickly jumped into my car and drove the two miles to their house. And as I pulled up to the driveway, the, uh, there was a large fire truck in their, in their driveway and, a, and another uh, fire, fireman's car there in their driveway. I had no idea what I was going to be stepping into, and I walked into their living room. And there in front of them stood the chief of police of the Enid Fire Department, along with chaplain from the Enid Fire Department. And what I learned was that uh, Marion Orville had been married later in life. Both of them lost their spouses, and they found love. And it was, a, it was an incredible relationship. But between the two of them, I, I, if I remember right, I think they had five kids. One of their children lived here in Oklahoma City with her husband, who had, uh, I believe, ALS. Um, he was in a wheelchair, and their five children and then there was a neighbor girl that was visiting with them that evening and, so, and they had just moved into a into a new home and you, you may remember it. you may remember the story from two thousand and four this family some something happened in the middle of the night no the, the case has still not been solved. A fire started on the porch of that family 's home it was in a pretty rough neighborhood. And so they had bars on the windows of their, of their win- uh, uh, they had bars, security bars on the windows of their house. And so as the fire started and it be- the house began to become filled with smoke, they began to try to get out of those windows with bars and they, they couldn't get out Finally, the, the mother was able to gather her husband, again, who was in a wheelchair, and she gathered as many children as she could, and she found, they found their, their way into the, into the garage, but the electricity was off by that point. They had no way of being able to find anything in the garage, and they all died in that fire. The husband and the wife and their five children and a little neighbor girl. went to Mary and Orville's house that evening. And they knew what suffering was. They knew what trials were. Over the next four or five years, I began to see an inner strength from Mary and Orville Summers. A strength like I had never seen anyone else have, ever. I saw them respond with faith. I even began to see Mary live life with joy. She knew James' words. Consider it pure Joy, my sisters and brothers, when you experience trials in your life. Because through those trials, it is a testing of your faith, and it will produce perseverance. And perseverance, when it comes to completion, it will produce spiritual maturity. Have you ever noticed? Have you ever noticed that those folks who have experienced the greatest amount of pain in their lives are those who have The deepest faith. I've seen it time and time and time again. God uses the struggles in our lives to to mature our faith. God uses the difficult days in our lives to firmly ground us in the very love of God through Jesus Christ. See, I don't believe that God calls us to rejoice for the trial. But God calls us to rejoice in the trial. God does not call us, James does not tell us that we must rejoice for the trial, but James tells us that we are to rejoice in the trial. So how do we profit from our problems? How do we have a, ha- have a faith that is in the flesh? How do we live out this faith? We, we live lives of joy. We live lives of joy, no matter what, pure joy. Because you see, we can understand then that God will use those times in our lives that are so very difficult, God will use them for our good, time after time, after time, after time, somebody ought to be saying amen. God will use those times of the darkest days of our lives for good, always and everywhere. So here's how, I, here's how I get to joy. And believe me, my family will be the very first one to say that I'm not always the most joyful person in the world, especially when things don't go my way. I'm the youngest in the family, so I, it comes naturally to me. Here's how I come at it. When the day is done, when everything else in my world has been shaken to its very core i tell people i know two things and really only two things when all else is stripped away i know two things one one i know that god loves me and that god loves you we see it in jesus christ even while we were yet sinners he loves, he loves us. He suffered and died for us even while we were yet sinners. That proves His love for us. God loves you, and He loves me. Why? I don't understand it because I know I'm not lovable. God loves me anyway. God is love. And God loves you, and God loves me. And the second thing I know when everything else is stripped away, the second thing I know is this. Somehow, mysteriously, God is in charge. I don't understand how. I don't understand why. I don't understand any of it. But I know this. God is in charge. And when you combine those two things, those two things that God loves me and God loves you and God is somehow mysteriously in charge, how can you not have joy? It's going to be okay. I was chastised one time by saying that to someone who was going through a really difficult time. I was chastised by another pastor by saying that. I looked at him and I said, you know, it's going to be okay. pastor took me aside, a fellow pastor took me aside and said, Leslie, you don't know that. It probably isn't gonna be okay. Oh, oh, I do know it's gonna be more than okay. It's gonna be more than okay. Because God loves me and God loves you, and God is somehow mysteriously in charge. And so even in the midst of trials, even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of suffering and, 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 and desperation, even in the midst of despair, we can have true and unadulterated, pure joy. The joy that comes from knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So no matter what you're going through, no matter how you have responded and replied to this coronavirus, no matter how full of deep despair you may be experiencing, know that the Lord wants you to experience pure joy, not for this suffering, but in the middle of it. Would you bow with me? Lord, we thank you for those those who have gone before us, who have taught us what it is to live lives of faith in the midst of suffering and pain. We all have people like Mary and Orville Summers in our lives. People who have experienced incredible loss, incredible trials, incredible frustration and disappointment and pain, but who have responded with faith and joy. Lord, many of us during this season have well, we've begun to give in to the pressure of our culture to be despondent, to be continually frustrated, to push away those that, that may disagree with us, to create disunity in our community. We've responded with suffering, with creating even more suffering. But Lord, that's not not your call upon our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to live lives of pure joy, even in the midst of, and especially in the midst of, trials and suffering and pain. Oh, Lord, give us your joy, the joy that only comes from knowing you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.